thanks for stopping by Liberty Sessions, where we unpack one woman's entrepreneurial journey to help another woman launch her own. I'm your host, Netta Jones. Please join me as we start liberating dreams one episode at a time. First of all, thank you for coming. Welcome to the first ever Liberty event. We just launched on Friday. Yeah, something like that, Friday. So um, way to get in on the ground floor. Uh, we appreciate it. Um, so let me just tell you really briefly about why is Liberty here and why are we different from a lot of the entrepreneurial women's um, venues, platforms that are out there. And the biggest distinction between what we're doing and what a lot of other people are doing is we're trying to show you how it's done. We're not just telling you, hey, girl, go get it, which is awesome. We all need that inspiration, but we want to show you how other people have done it, how other women have done it. We want to celebrate those who have done it and thank you guys for doing it and being examples so that you guys can learn from their mistakes, learn from what they've done right, take a little bit of advice on what's hard and coming your way and the unexpected joys that you will uh, have on this entrepreneurial journey. Hi, Ruthie. <laughs> um, so we're going to let them sort of tell their stories. I'm going to guide it a little bit with some questions, and then you'll be able to ask your own questions. So as they're telling their stories, think about what you're doing, what you want to be doing, um, so that you can ask very specific questions. You're here with WeWork. Are you currently in a business, or are you working? Yeah. Okay. How many people own a business? How many want to own a business? <laughs> That's great. Okay, so there's, there's something here for all of you. Um, so I am going to turn it over to the really important people um, who we've got here on this panel. Thank you guys for coming. Um, I'm going to let them introduce themselves and tell you a little bit about what they do so there's some context for who you're hearing from. So thanks again for coming to this first ever Liberty. By the way, this is a live podcast, too. So shout out, say your name. You know, we'll give you time to say your URL later if you really want to get in on it. Um, so we'll start, Kristen, we'll start with you. Hi, everybody. I'm Kristen. I own A Thousand Times Better. It's a staging and design company based in L.A. And we take furniture into unoccupied and sometimes partial partially occupied so we bring some furniture in not everything and get the houses ready so they look beautiful when they come onto the market for sale and also do a little bit of design well quite a bit of design work as well residential and some commercial design yeah and um can you give us your instagram handle oh a thousand times better yeah you guys need it's, to yeah. check it out you'll be inspired <laughs> thank <Okay>. you <laughs> jan why don't you tell us a little bit about what you do Okay. Hi, I'm Jan McCarthy, and um, I am a champion for entrepreneurship. So I work with women entrepreneurs, and I host uh, creative dinner parties. So we can talk about business, but we can also eat and drink. And uh, I am also an artist, and I love creating community and events and art and uh, uh, products and anything that has to do with uh, something creative, I really enjoy being uh, part of all of that and, and helping to bring those two things together. 
So art and business, and especially in a creative way. Thanks. And find out how you can get in on one of these dinners. They're awesome. (laughs) Thank you. And my Instagram is uh, Jan McCarthy. Two C's. Thanks. Hi, I'm Tammy Carey. Uh, I am an actor. Uh, I am also an interior designer, um, and I also do event design, uh, specializing in really experiential events and interiors that tell a story in ways that you can experience and interact with and see and feel. Um, And I also own a coffee shop bike shop over in the Arts District centered around building a community of people that navigate the world by bicycle. What's the name of it? Uh, It's called The Wheelhouse. (laughs) Uh, My interior and event design company is Pluck. And uh, yeah, my Instagram handles are Tammy Carey uh, for acting and just personal. Uh, Live with Pluck is my interior and event design company. And The Wheelhouse LA is the bike shop coffee shop. Awesome. All right, Hannah. Uh, my name is Hannah Lim. I'm the co-founder and president of Lala Land. You can see our colorful products over on the table. So I manufacture um, children's products, mostly baby toddler. Um, my Instagram handle is at Lala Land USA. So L-O-L-L-A Land USA. And I'm excited to talk, give you like the product angle, consumer product angle. And who's your other co-founder? My husband, Mark. (laughs) (laughs) So everybody who's here is here for a very specific reason. They have a different angle. They're in entrepreneurship in some different capacity, different from one another. And that was all intentional so that your stories and what you want to do and what you might be currently doing can be found in in their experience. So I'm going to ask the first question. And most of these questions are two parts. So just kind of go down the same line. If you want to pipe in, please feel free to pipe in as well. Um, Okay. Can you tell us a little bit about what you do? Like, uh, give us a day in the life of, and then what you did before you launched your business. Um, What do we do on a daily basis? Well, that changes every single day. It's a little chaotic and crazy, but we um, have a probably... 10 houses installed right now with furniture, everything you need to make a house look beautiful, and probably another 10 coming up. So we're coordinating jobs that are coming, jobs that we've already done, jobs we need to take out, planning for design clients, um, and so just ordering inventory. A client is, so somebody wants to sell a house. Yes. So they call you and they say, it's we need to sell this house for a lot more money. Yes. Can you come make it pretty? Yes, basically. And you do, you add furniture and decor and all that, but you also do some hardscape kind of stuff and some, yeah. like you'll redo a bathroom or a kitchen or whatever. Yes, we so do. So it's, it's two parts. Yep. So when you say you have 10 jobs, that's a lot, that's a lot of work. You're taking on 10 full projects. Yes. I have a lot of furniture. A yes. lot of furniture. She does. She's I telling have a the lot. truth. Yeah. Yes. And I've only accu- I've accumulated it in three years. I started my business three years ago. And what did with you the do furniture before? in my house? I was an ICU nurse. I grew Very up cool. in Scotland. I went to Edinburgh University, um, studied nursing, and moved here. Nursed was an ICU nurse here as well, and then um, had my kids. Took some time off and found myself in my late 30s getting divorced and having two choices. One, to go back to being a nurse, and the second one was to start a business. And I did the second one. That's why I'm sitting here. 
It's amazing. Yeah. I love that story because she didn't come from that background and yet she found something that she had a natural talent for. Obviously, is very good at it and has been able to monetize that talent, which we should all be so lucky. Um, can you tell us when you looked at going back to work, did you ever consider going back to nursing? I did. I um, actually went to the hospital and figured out what I needed to do to reactivate my license, which it wasn't active anymore. Um, and it was hard, and they wanted me to go back and work night shift. And at that point, I was 38, and I had two little kids, and just felt like I was going backwards and not forwards. So because they made it difficult for me, it made me make a difficult choice. And that was something that I never will regret ever. I think I was destined to be a business owner and do a creative and have a creative business and not go back to nursing. Not that I didn't love my former job. I did, but this is what I was supposed to do. And I'm glad I took the chance. So it's Very like glad. time in life and yeah. circumstances. Circumstances sort of for sure. Both of, okay. yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Thank you. Jan. Um, a typical day is not typical, except that lately I have been trying to get up and walk three miles every day so I can reach my goal of a thousand miles this year. Um, and But it could be anything, whether it's answering emails or I have, a, uh, as an artist, I have a studio right across the street from my loft and so I might go over and decide to paint or uh, I also have a podcast, Entrepreneurial Voice. And uh, so some days I interview people and do my podcast. Um, other days I plan for my events that are coming up. So I have a retreat coming up in November. I um, have the dinner parties, like I mentioned. And so it might mean going to um, some networking kind of, I don't think we really call them real networking events so much um, because it seems like the things I'm involved in, like the Mentor Mondays with Netta and Tammy, um, those, are, those are great for just May, you know, um, developing your community and, and meeting new people, and it doesn't feel uh, so networky. It feels more like you're really getting to know people, and I think that's important to continue to learn from other people and continue to be curious and discover and be inspired uh, by others. And so, uh, planning events or thinking up products and how I can get those figured out, I always. I'm always trying to figure out how to find time to do those Instagram stories or post those Instagrams. <laughs> um, so it's, uh, and then even today, a little bit earlier, I met with a couple of women and we had a glass of wine on the roof. So um, it just kind of depends on, on what's going on and uh, what I feel like needs to be done and try and take care of business uh, as necessary and um, enjoying it along the way and I love everything I'm doing and I don't think you mentioned it but also your art you're creating your art both the fine art that you're selling but also all of the um, art that you're putting on things so you've got a book you've got news or excuse me wrapping paper you have some things where you're extending that into more of a mass market. True. I tend to forget about this stuff. But, um, <laughs> but thank you. I Thank you. Um, yeah. But yes, I love uh, looking for opportunities to put my art on things. I'm 
I try, I try and collaborate whenever possible with others. I'm hoping to get it on, on fabric, on rugs, on all kinds of things. And, uh, and currently, I do have note cards and wrapping paper and, and the book over on the table. And then I also teach an um, art class, too. And it's not your typical art class, and it's not your typical paint and play. It's more um, an art, uh, creative art session is what I call it, although you will walk away with an amazing, one-of-a-kind, unique, uh, abstract art piece and um, it's great for finding your creative self and expressing your creative self but it's also really great for uh, relieving stress and problem solving and and um, also opening up different parts in your brain and I'm not scientific so I don't really know what part to tell you but um, but I, I know that it does help you to find um, it, you know, doing something creative begets more creativity, and we need that in our businesses if we have one. So I love being able to help people discover that artistic side of them and uh, having them create something that they love that they would hang on their wall, and who knows, maybe they'll sell it. Awesome. Thanks. Oh, I got mine. Here's the mic. Um, Similarly, my days are not the same ever, but I do really love to have consistency and I'm finding that <clears throat> I work really well if I have a little bit of structure. So um, I've created these mornings that I kind of protect and I start my day with meditation and I do a little yoga and I have lots of coffee and I journal and usually do some sort of gratitude and uh, walk my dog and that makes me feel like I have a little morning before the day starts before everything is out of control and I'm getting pinged around depending on where the fire's at and and what emergencies there are um, and that's helped a lot uh, for the wheelhouse I'm in charge of the voice and vision is what we call it so lots of creative direction doing those Instagram stories which I am starting to love but I did not love for a very long time uh, and uh, yeah just creating a look and a feeling and experience and events for the business um and then if an audition comes up then it all flies out the window and then everything gets reorganized um yeah and then for the design business it just sort of depends on what the work is but um a lot of times it's sourcing vendors or putting together kind of conceptual plans and meetings and i've kind of created certain days where certain things happen um because certain parts of my brain flip on if I have to be on and having a meeting. It's really hard for me after that to go back to thinking creatively and getting into a space where I can kind of create, I guess, um, or think really. So I structure my week so that meetings happen on certain days and certain chunks of time and so I don't feel like I'm hopping back and forth between the gears in my brain. And um, I have the flexibility to work from home a couple days a week, and that's when I do most of the creative work that I do, when it's nice and quiet and nobody is talking to me. <laughs> did you start out blocking, or did you develop that, like figure out what worked for you and develop that? It has been an ongoing process, yeah. I have been obsessed with productivity and efficiency, and with three businesses, it's been important to try and really figure out how to maximize whatever time you have. Um, so I've read a lot of blogs and a lot of articles and really just tested everything. And honestly, this, this is what I'm doing this week. And I think I did it last week, but I was doing something different two weeks ago. And um, yeah, I'm just constantly trying to figure out what works uh, for where I'm at in life right now. 
And really quickly, what did you do before, which is sort of hilarious, because I don't think you let go of any of the things that you've done. No, I do all of the things that I always used to do. (laughs) Yeah. Um, I moved out to L.A. as an actor um, and am still really passionate about that form of art and expression. I got really frustrated with feeling like I didn't have any control over the work that I got to do. Um, And I'm very much a doer. At the time that I moved out here, I fell into an interior design office um, and did that for several years, grew a showroom, an interior showroom, got to work with lots of makers of printed fabrics and handcrafted furniture and tradesmen. And I just loved that. And kind of, I think when I turned 30, I had a light bulb um, moment that... Uh, I had sort of rejected that creative opportunity because that was not the thing that I was doing. And if you were an actor, you should always be an actor. And if you have a backup plan, you'll use it. And it just wasn't true for me. Um, So I started doing more customer-facing work with an interior designer and just really loved all of the materials and the finishes you got to work with and the people you got to collaborate with and creating a space. And I was always moving furniture around at home. My husband traveled, and every time he got home, it was like a game. <laughs> Be like, oh, that's not there anymore. Oh, there's a nightstand. I didn't have a nightstand when I left. Um, and yeah, sort of realized that that's kind of, I had a passion for that too, and it was, it was all storytelling. It was all narrative. There was actually a through line between all of these things that I really loved. Um, and so I said yes, and I started my own business um, and through that have learned kind of the projects that I really do love to do and the projects that I don't really love to do and I'm still in the process of defining my business Um, so if you go to live with pluck you'll see it's a little dormant that's because I'm going through some branding to decide what pluck actually does but um, yeah and then Chase started working on bikes and now we have a bike Uh, my husband is Chase he's my business partner uh, with the wheelhouse and uh, yeah, that was going to be a pop-up shop in our garage where he would restore vintage bicycles. And uh, <laughs> we kept kind of poking at it and exploring it. And yeah, just kind of talked ourselves it into... It is not a pop-up uh, shop. <laughs> For those of you who have been, who've been there, it's amazing. Um, oh. You should definitely go visit. It's huge. It's the opposite of pop-up. And uh, the coffee's amazing. So even if you're not like a bike person, um, you'll love the coffee. Thanks, Tammy. Thanks. Hannah, what did you do before and also um, kind of the, a day in the life? So um, in my past life, I was a high school chemistry teacher for LA Unified. And then I had a baby and I was a stay-at-home mom for a very short stint until I got very restless. And um, I was kind of, quite frankly, unhappy and unfulfilled. In some ways, I, f- I feel bad to my children for saying that. But um, thank, you I just, to, thank you for saying it, though. But yeah, I I don't know. I just, it wasn't my thing. Um, And so, you know, I, at the moment, it was like, I was so frustrated with this whole sippy cup transition. And that was like the biggest problem in my life. And so I just decided to come up with um, sort of an easy sipping, super chic sippy cup and decided I was going to take it to market once my husband graduated from business school. And he's always been very entrepreneurial. So we just, you know, we've had many discussions about how we were going to do this, if it was good for our marriage, our family. And we just decided at the end to go for it full force. Like, I mean, I cashed out my tiny little IRA from teaching for five years and whatnot. So um, that was me prior to the business. 
And for me, I think because I'm in consumer products and really I'm always trying to sell, I really, I'm a little different from the other panelists in that, you know, my day revolves around the UPS guy coming at 3.30 and making sure our deliveries go out. And so I'm really at the office pretty rigidly 9 to 2.30. And why I say 2.30 is I figure I'm an entrepreneur or a mompreneur and I'm going to take advantage of that and pick my kids up from school every day when I can. So that's what I do for the most part. And when I'm at work, I, as soon as I get there, every day I write down on a post-it my top three sort of high priority things, whether it's, I mean, everything revolves around sales and new products or marketing. But I think at my core, if it's like, okay, this one email blast is going to result in my day's sales, that's what I'm going to do to that morning. So. Um, so I want to ask you, and you guys have all sort of hinted, um, especially you, Kirsten, but why you became an entrepreneur. I think a lot of us do it because we have an idea that we want to take to market. We want to put this thing in the hands uh, or service in the hands of other people. Some of us do it because, as I say, there was no job that utilized everything that I wanted to utilize within me. I couldn't find a job that was the perfect job for me, so I went and created it. Um, can you guys tell us, again, Kristen, you talked about circumstances and just feeling kind of called to this, I think I'm going to try this. And I know from interviewing you for our podcast that your mother, I think, had said, you've always been creative. And you were like, why didn't somebody tell me? Yeah. Well, I could have saved some time. Right? <laughs> like 20 years would have been good. <laughs> um, you, had, wouldn't, you wouldn't have been ready. It happened been when it happened. No, it, yeah. it definitely did. I, I mean, I grew up in Scotland. You can probably hear my accent. I had amazing, supportive parents, but a little bit... Um, practical and sensible and they weren't risk takers and then I came along and it was a little bit different from them and definitely a little gosh not the black sheep of the family but definitely a little bit more of a risk taker and always was like pushing pushing the limits and testing my parents and driving my mother absolutely crazy on a daily basis um never quite wore what she wanted me to wear or so they were they were super practical and wanted me to do something that was safe I guess and that was nursing and my mother and my grandmother were both in healthcare, and kind of pushed me I knew I could never sit in an office nine to five and do a normal sitting job I've always been antsy and like had a lot of energy so I thought nursing would be a good fit for me, that I could still be somewhat creative, I guess, but um, just never, I never, I, I didn't even think about taking, I did think about going to art school, that's yeah. not true. I did, I, my art teacher at art school, at high school definitely said, you should do a portfolio, you should apply for art school, and I just I didn't do it. So I did the safe thing and I, I did nursing. And then all those years later, after the divorce, when you were looking at going back to work, getting back into nursing was so hard. Um, what's, I mean, that's a, staging um, is very, very specific. Yeah. What was it about staging that you thought, oh, this is a good idea. I think I'll try my hand at this. Because being creative, you could have done a number of things. Yeah. I mean, I had worked for my friend, Tamara Honey, who owns House of Honey. And spent some time with her and spent a lot of time around her and her creativity. And she's incredibly talented at what she does. I don't think I wanted to be 
as beholden to a client as you are in interior design. I think I, mm-hmm. I wanted to have a little bit more freedom, which you have in staging. You're accountable to the realtor and the client. Sorry, my chair keeps turning. I'm like, um, I'm spinning in circles. Um, but in staging, you definitely have a little more freedom. You need to make the client happy for sure, but they're bringing you in as the expert and expecting that the end product is going to be beautiful. Um, they might have some direction as they want it to look a little bit more mid-century or a little more eclectic, or um, but you have more, you have a little more freedom. So one thing that you also said uh, in our interview, and I think it's really important that although you picked something that gave you more freedom, staging, it also meant accumulating a lot of inventory, and so you had to put a lot of money up front in the yes. business as opposed to a designer am. who can go into it and really use the client's money to build yeah. that portfolio. So that was a distinction yeah, too. Yeah, I don't know if I really fully appreciated and I you know we talked about this in the podcast, but the start of my business was very organic. I was like, ah, seems like a fun thing to do. I had a friend who was a realtor. She said, can you do this house for me? I did it. Turned out great. The house sold. It had sat on the market previously for six months and, and it sold. And I was like, yeah, cool. Okay, let's do, let's just try this. And kind of did another house for her. And then somebody else called me and somebody else called me and it just kind of started. So I took every profit from every job in the beginning and just bought the furniture that I needed to do the next job. And it just kind of kept going like that. And I, it's still a little bit like that, like still buying a lot. How many years in? Three. Okay. <clears throat> um, now the jobs are bigger, and the houses are not three or four hundred thousand dollars anymore. They're three, three million, four million. They're big houses. They need a lot of product. They need high-end products. So the cost, the startup cost, is not going away, and it probably never will. That's just something that I. But that's I helpful because I think you can look at a <clears throat> business concept and say, well, this I want to do this. This is something that's more kind of in my wheelhouse. But what's the upfront cost for doing that? And going into staging, you might actually even think would serve you better, like what your talents are, because you can be more creative and do things. You know, you're working with a client for a matter of weeks sometimes. But the flip side to that is the the cost, the upfront cost. Thank you for that. Um, Jan. Um, So what was the question again? So just um, what really inspired becoming an entrepreneur? Like what was it about entrepreneurship that you thought, was it an idea? Was it flexibility? Was it financial freedom? What were you really seeking? Right. So I think one thing I forgot to say in the last question was what did I do before entrepreneurship? And actually I didn't do anything because I grew up in a family of entrepreneurs and I don't know that I necessarily really thought about what I was supposed to do when I grew up, but it was something that was very familiar to me. Um, I did get my real estate license and do real estate as soon as I graduated from high school, but I also got a degree in dental assisting, and I tried that out, and then the dentist, um, so this is kind of a, a, a pattern throughout my life of any kind of job I had. The dentist decided that he didn't want to be um, continue with that. And then um, I had some corporate jobs, uh, like one corporate job, but what I realized is that um, you don't always have very much control. When you're working for someone else, I, I know that a lot of times you'll hear that parents will say, well, that's a safe thing to do, or people around you will say, well, get a job because that's safe. But I actually, um, in my experience, many of the companies that I worked with 
One filed Chapter 13, the other one decided to uh, go out of business completely. And I realized that I had no control, even if I did kind of like the job that I was doing, I really had no control. And uh, so I married an entrepreneur and I worked with him a little bit. I. Um, I had two children. I started an interior design company, and I really enjoyed the interior design, but I found it to be pretty lonely. It was doing it all by myself. So I guess in a way, um, I knew all about entrepreneurship, but I didn't know where to where to land, and um, I was able to get connected um, working with women entrepreneurs, and I found that that just really uh, spoke to me a lot. But I, everything I did, I wanted it to be creative because I was the person who always loved putting on creative parties and things like that. So I wanted everything I did to be creative. So I wanted to incorporate that into working with the women entrepreneurs. And I had always wanted to, I wanted, I was a wannabe artist. I really wanted to do that. And then finally, I was able to find my entrepreneurial voice with that um, and that was just like four and a half years ago um, and that really really spoke to me as well and so that was why I um, how I found and why I became an entrepreneur I love the freedom of it I love the um, ability to express myself in a way that really kind of feeds my soul and um, and I love being able to affect and enthuse others with uh, that kind of thought so can I ask Thanks. you really quickly, because mm -hmm. Kirsten was talking about how she's three years in and she's still investing in the company. You have so many different things that you do. And um, for those listening, do you focus, do all of those things uh, need to, in your mind, be equally profitable? Or do you have some things that, okay, this is really a, a branded project. This is all about getting an audience to come and pay attention so that they perhaps will go to my podcast or they go to your podcast so that they'll come to your dinners or they are, are things connected in that way or do you expect each of those siloed businesses to create their own revenue and to be profitable? I would like each one of those things yeah. to create <laughs> revenue and be profitable. Um, I don't know that I'm organized enough to sit down and say, okay, I made this much with my art and I made this much with my dinner party or I made this much with my treat, retreat. Um, however, if I find that I'm doing something um, that is not really making any money at all, then I have to step back and say, is this doing something else for me that is really... Um, making it beneficial and, and making it worthwhile. And there are times when I've let things go um, because maybe it's, even though I enjoy it, it, the payoff is not great enough. And that may be financially or that may be in um, time. It may be taking a lot of my time, but it just doesn't really pay off. And um, I think one of, one of those might even be like, um, uh, like the wrapping paper, which I love having and selling, but it's it takes a lot of work to get it printed. It takes a lot of work to try and, whether I was going to try and get it into stores or whether I try and get it into a consumer. And, and so if it's at the proper event where I can sell it, then I love selling it. But maybe it's, so one of the questions I keep thinking about, well, maybe this is a better thing that when someone buys a painting, 
that I uh, mm. send them a, a, a piece of wrapping paper or something like that, or wrap something for them, something very small. But um, So you have to think about weigh those things, even though I love, love doing the wrapping paper, and I love wrapping my gifts to give to people in the wrapping paper. So That's um, awesome. Yeah. Thanks for that, because I think that's really helpful as we look at how do you do all those things and what is the expectation from a bottom line point of view. So thank yeah, you. Thanks. And Tammy, I'm going to ask you because you talked about all three of your things and then you said, well, live with pluck is if you go pluck, but live with pluck, your um, uh, Instagram handle it, it is kind of in on hold right now as you sort of think about what's next for it or the direction you want to take it in terms of branding. So is it safe to say that while you have these three things, you are an entrepreneur in these three categories, um, that you're not doing all three at the same time with the same amount of energy? Or is it not safe to say that? <laughs> um, well, it is safe to say, well, I have been working with Pluck uh, a lot, which has prevented me from branding Pluck I've just been taking jobs and opportunities mm. as they have come. So Word of mouth. You haven't had yeah. to really. Okay. Yeah. It's so a good I, problem to which have. Which is yeah. a wonderful problem. It is yeah. a wonderful problem to have. Uh, yes. So the actual, the very getting specific, the um, getting very clear and direct to go after the jobs that I really want has been postponed a little bit because I've been taking the jobs that have come to me, mm -hmm. um, some of which I have loved and some of which I have not loved. Um the, so, yeah, I guess there are days where or weeks where I don't work on pluck at all because the wheelhouse has a lot going on and it just demands a lot of attention. And so if there isn't a client that I have to deliver something to, then that, you know, lovely creative work that I want to expand into and explore gets put on hold. Um, and same with like if there is a, an installation or an actual event, then wheelhouse takes a back seat and it's all about getting that done. So it, it sort of ebbs and flows. Okay. Does and then you said you have clients that you don't appreciate as much, let's just say. <laughs> so how long should we, myself included, hang on to clients we don't appreciate as much? Like is there a... Yeah, in the first three years, just say yes to everything, and then after a while, sort of get specific. Any advice you might have on that? Yeah, um, Pluck is like two years old, okay. so I'm pretty new in this, uh, but I, the lack of time or the limited amount of time that I have has, has made me get very specific much quicker, I think, okay. um, because I, I can't just take on any project um, and have to weigh against like kind of what Jan was saying this client will take this this much time away from this project at the wheelhouse which could make this much money which you know it doesn't even out and the enjoyment i get or the pleasure i get or you know as much as i love this client this isn't really worth it so i'm always kind of weighing those things um when you're starting out it, it sort of depends on how much of a, a cushion you have um to turn down jobs is really hard, especially when you're brand new. Uh, I turned down my first job this year, and it was more of a thank you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I still think about it, actually. <laughs> um, so I think you think about, oh shoot, I should have done it. Or no, I, I think it was still the right choice. Okay. But 
when there isn't a huge influx of other jobs or mm -hmm. when I haven't branded myself and started going after all those other jobs that I really want to do, I have a panic moment where I'm like, well, geez, you know, like maybe you weren't in place to turn it down. Um, so I don't know that there's a specific time frame. For me, it's been just sort of circumstances that have okay. have made me make that decision. I don't okay. know if that's helpful. Yeah, no, <laughs> thank you. I mean, I think what you're saying is it depends. It depends on lots of things. And perhaps it's just identifying what are those things, whether it's I need to hit a certain amount of money and I can't say no, or I don't. I have money coming in, revenue coming in from something else, and I can use this time to really be specific about who I want to work with, the way I want to brand the kind of clients I want to build the brand around because usually when it's word of mouth, if you do something, then something very similar will come along. And so it's almost like you have to say yes to the right things. You know, one begets the, the next thing. Yeah. Did, did that make sense? You follow? Okay. You're only um, one person. Sorry? Oh. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah? Yeah? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Good, good. I'm glad. I'm glad it worked. <laughs> I will really quickly say yeah. my husband is the business perspective in all of our businesses, and he often has me sit down and sort of evaluate not just how much the job is worth, but how much you're actually getting paid, which mm -hmm. is a really challenging exercise to do. Yeah. But when you think about the time it's going to take and the time it's going to take away from you know the things that might actually make more money in the long run, you start to look at what you're actually going to be. I know when you're making them. thirty-seven cents an hour. But, and it's really easy to <laughs> add up those hours and realize that that's your reality. It's, it's easier to say no. So sometimes you need to take the time. And I think that's some of the conversations that we've had. It's easier to take the time or it's best to take the time and then trim all that fat because it's really not adding value. Um, unless, like Jan said, it's adding value in some other way. It's giving something else to the business, some other bottom line. It's not a financial bottom line. It's some other bottom line. And there's value to that. Um, okay, Hannah, you're a little bit more like Kirsten in that the upfront, I mean, not everybody can say, I have an idea for a product that you need to manufacture um, and then getting it to market and then getting it distributed. That is a undertaking and that's probably putting it mildly, but both financially and in terms of the know-how and kind of the manpower behind, woman power behind that. Um, so can you tell us a little bit about when you decided, like, I mean, it's, it's a great story. I want to fix for her daughter's story, which is funny. Um, I want to fix this sippy cup dilemma so that story is having a different experience. But was that worth the $100,000 plus that it took to get to market? Like, give us a little bit about what we need to, well, why did you become an entrepreneur? You had an idea, you wanted to step away from being a full-time mom, or add something to being a mom, I should say. Um, but how, I mean, there are lots of other entrepreneurial things you could have done. This one had a, quite a price tag. How did that decision come to be? It's funny because when I hear all of you guys talk, I there's a part of me where I'm like, man, I should have started in some sort of service business, like <laughs> grown this big nest egg and then spent that money on a product-based business. But um, for me, I think entrepreneurship, I it's interesting because I came from immigrant parents who did not have a choice. They didn't, it's not like they spoke English and could walk into your local B of A and get a blue collar job per se. Um, so they just like hustled and they were 
entrepreneurs before it was called entrepreneurs, right? Like in every college application, I didn't even know what to write for my dad's position. And, um, but what I do remember from that is him working extremely hard, but also like having time for family and for trips. Like I remember amazing vacations and just what he was able to achieve on such limited, I guess, resources. And so for me, that was really inspiring as an adult to think like, man, sky's the limit. And I don't always have to like be a teacher and report to the union and, you know, like um, as much as I loved it. But I just felt like I wanted that freedom. I wanted both financially as well as for my life. And so, um, and Mark too, I think Mark is my husband. We both just find it extremely gratifying to be able Mm -hmm. to say like, wow, we built this business and we walk into Whole Foods and see it on the shelf or, you know. Um, So uh, regarding the money part, um, sorry, I don't even know where to begin (laughs) on that because it's so stressful. It's, it's almost like when you put in that much money and that much commitment, you're, sort of forced to make it work (laughs) for lack of a better word. Like I, you know, when I started this about six years ago, um, again, we had put in $150,000 and then we went on a reality show called Shark Tank and got some money from that. And it was just like, we're constantly. Two sharks. sharks. I think that's really great. You remember her? Oh, that's so funny. Yeah, so we're just constantly always just scraping by, um, trying to make, create more inventory, create new products. Um, and every day is that hustle. Like, I, I mean, when Netta said, bring product, I'm like, hell yeah, I'm going to try to sell to all of you today. <laughs> because, you know, like that extra $20 to add towards that next thing is... Which is notable, six years in and the hustle doesn't end. And I think that's a really important thing to think about. A lot of us are like, you know, it's been eight months and it's really not taking off. And and it's like, there's no, that is, that is not entrepreneurship. That is not what it is. Um, That's like expecting to win the lotto every time you go in and get a ticket. So I, I think that the fact that you're like 20 bucks there might be 20 bucks there. I better bring this is more along the lines of what most of us have experienced, whatever 20 bucks is for us, you know, a cup of coffee or a job or a piece of art or a staging, a staging gig, um, whatever that is. I think that's a really, it's key to hear because as a consultant, and I didn't mention earlier, I consult as well. I hear constantly the like, ah, man, it's just not working out. And I'm like, well, let's do the math. Okay. You're, you know, you've been in for six months. We just launched your website. You don't have an Instagram following to speak of, and you don't have a store that's going to sell your product. You just have product sitting in a warehouse. It's, it's, that's not how it works. And the idea, bringing the idea to fruition, the product or the service, is not starting a business. Selling the idea or the product is is having a business working on the business is what your job is going to be it's not just being I I give this example all the time of a fashion designer who wants to be sourcing fabric in Milan and having Paris runway shows and I'm like well then go get a job working for somebody as a designer because you're going to be in the basement of some Macy's selling to a Barney's or I mean excuse me a, a buyer in Atlanta 
that's your reality if you're set, trying to sell a line. So you got to get real clear on what your job is going to be. And it's not just taking that thing. It's not making this cool plastic container that's going to be in all the cool kids stores. That's just the beginning of it. So I, I appreciate that. Sorry, I went off a little bit. Um, you said something in your podcast um, and, and Mark, her husband, came in toward the end and we let him stay because it was so good. Um, but you guys were really, you were, you were very honest and I, I and so many people who've listened appreciated it and you said something about, and I've heard this time and time again, I think we've had this conversation, if I knew then what I know now, I may not have actually started it. Um, and that's a little sobering, but give us like the flip side of that. What's been the joy? What's been the, I mean, you get to work with your husband, you get to leave at 2.30. So give us some of that. Yeah, I mean, my husband and I have built an amazing relationship, actually. I mean, aside from the business, but at doing this business together, we've developed this newfound respect for one another, like what we can each achieve individually. Um, I spend a lot of time with my kids. I mean, believe it or not, I'm able to cook dinner almost every night for them. And I love like having sit down meals with our family. Um, we don't get to vacation very often <laughs> because of the business. I mean, you're just always on call, but gosh, there's just so much upside. I think again, I, I mentioned, I touched on it being really gratifying to sort of set out to do something and then work really hard and get to that goal only to have like, the next thing come along. And what, what I mean by that is when I first launched the business, I had my three accounts that I really wanted to be in. It was Barney's, Nordstrom, and Whole Foods. And, you know, it took me a long time to get into all those accounts plus our 1,200 little specialty boutiques. And then when I get there, it's like, oh, now everything's on Amazon. So I completely have to pivot. And so it's it's been extremely challenging, but also really rewarding to know, wow, like I, I can do this and, and my girls are, can watch and learn from that too. Yeah. And Jan had hit on something earlier and you just talked about pivoting, but when you're in a traditional business and this is not a, I'm not poo-pooing traditional businesses, but just to be clear that there's risk there too. And when a company has to pivot, your job may be on the line right? But when you have to pivot, you actually have some flexibility and some control. Now, it doesn't mean you're, there's a paycheck attached, and that's the hard part, but you still have, there's a future that you can build for yourself in a way that isn't always the case in a traditional, you know, nine to five, 401k kind of job. Um, Tammy, can you talk a little bit about, um, I'm going to kind of move on to the next one and we'll circle back to Hannah, but resources, tips, you talked about the blocking, um, time blocking, but can you talk about some other things that maybe you've used or you've kind of a, a, a schedule that, not a schedule because you kind of went through that, but anything that you think is, has been really helpful in managing your schedule or the day or a particular part of your business? Yeah, totally. Um, I think if I had one tip, it would be um, the 16 personalities test, which is a Myers-Briggs form of a personality test that you can take online and it's free. And as soon as I did that, I'm always obsessed with them and I had done it a really long time ago and I revisited it. 
it sheds so much light on what I need to work well and what places I really shine and um, how to set myself up so I can be productive and so I can create and so I can think and so I can, you know, execute and um, we did it, my husband and I did it together and realized that we are exactly opposite, which <laughs> has, pro- has proven to be challenging sometimes, but is also really brilliant because it caused us to redistribute our roles. And, the you know, I had operational stuff that I should have never had because it's not my strong suit. And it brings me down. And, like, on days where I had to do that, like, I, I just couldn't get out of that headspace and I couldn't do the rest of the work that I needed to do. So I think no matter what you're doing, it's just even if you're in a regular, regular job, um, really understanding who you are and how you work and what environment you need to think best in and how you create and how you work with other people and even understanding how the other people you're working with work is huge, life-changing. I, I think about it all the time, especially when I feel like I work so differently than everybody else I'm around. It helps to remember, like, oh, no, that's okay. That's just how I am, and that's fine. Like, I need to stay home today because I just can't be out in the world and actually do what I need to do, and so I'm going to stay home today. And, yeah. And what is, is it a website? Yes, yeah, it's called 16personalities.com, okay. and you just go through, and it's just spooky. Of all of the personality tests I've taken, and I have taken a lot, it has been the most, <laughs> it has been the most accurate. So even if, if, even if we have done Myers-Briggs, it's like a, a more specific test. I have, okay. Yeah, I've heard that, that people have taken both okay. within you know a short time span of each other and found 16 personalities okay. to be even more illuminating. I don't know why. Maybe just go revisit your Myers-Briggs personality okay. test results. But yeah, it's it's wonderful. And I'll just add, if anyone hasn't done a Strengths Finders, have you guys done that? I find that to be a great one too. Yeah. Um, okay, Jan. Resources, <laughs> tips, tools. Um, I think the thing that's helped me the most um, is kind of thinking from the end, starting from the end, and writing my goals down, writing my dreams down. And when you, um, writing my goals or intentions or whatever it is, but if there's something I want to do, write that down and then um, work backwards and think what are the steps that you need to do to get there and be very specific about it. And then I'm a huge believer in celebration. So if you've accomplished something and keeping track of the things that you've accomplished, like every, every not, different than gratitude, but every week or something, write down five things that you've accomplished, a little big, whatever, you would be amazed at how much they add up. And uh, to be able to look back and go, wow, I did this and this and this and this and this and this, um, you start to feel pretty proud of yourself instead of beating yourself up for all the things that you didn't get done. Yeah, I will add to when you are an entrepreneur, you don't have, even if you're working in a team or on a team or with other people, you tend to be, you're the boss, right? And so you don't really have lots of opportunities to get feedback about how you're doing. You might get feedback in terms of the bottom line, which may tell you, you know, you suck, and to figure it out. But you don't get a lot of good or bad feedback. So you kind of are in your head a lot, and it can mess with you. And I appreciate just taking time to write down what were the successes and eventually they'll add up um, because you don't have a team or a coworker or a boss saying, 
good job and there are no award ceremonies there it doesn't happen like that so, um, yeah, so, so create it for yourself your yeah give yourself some rewards go um yeah go, <laughs> go shopping um i just think it's really important to celebrate what you've done and recognize that you've really done a lot that's great and i also want to add on the do the the one thing and track back there's a book called the one thing and i recommend oh, it's a great it book. Yeah, and it will, it's very specific. There's a science behind it um, on how you can accomplish this one thing. I haven't been doing it lately, but I did it for about a year. And with my productivity, um, my husband heard me talk. That's my husband, the cute guy right there. Um, but <laughs> the other cute guy, the other cute guy. Um, but... I mean, I was going on and on about it because it really made a difference and I would kind of, well, I'll let you read it, but it really helps you to move the needle in a way that you wouldn't think would be possible by focusing on, on a single thing. But the reality is, at the end of the week, you've actually accomplished something that has kind of real meaning and adds to, to what you're trying to do as opposed to a lot of little nothing, which, you know, I'm the person that writes down a list just so I can cross things off, like yeah. things I've already done. Can I add um, one Can I add one more thing, yeah, too, is that please. we tend to think um, we, we need to do it all and there's things that we really can't do. And I would say the other thing that really helped me to accomplish, like, tremendous things last year was hiring somebody to do things that I really couldn't do or shouldn't do um, and or didn't want to and they really helped me by doing the, taking that off my plate because otherwise I would tend to get stuck doing things that I really wasn't very good at and I wasn't moving it forward as much so even if you have to trade if you can't afford it if you can trade if you can do something <clears throat> to get help that can be a um, tremendous yeah that's awesome Okay, Miss Kirsten. I don't really use any tools. <laughs> I really don't. I literally take every day and I... That's not true. You have a whiteboard right. in your oh, office I do, I do. and you and go job now. to job yes, and you true. have a system of where you begin and where your employees kind of take things. You sort of have yeah. kind of veto power on a lot of things. Like, okay, go get this done, but I'm... I'm the brand, it's my aesthetic, so I have veto power yeah, on it. Yeah, it's not complete chaos. No. But I it's mean, very so, organic. Yeah. It's very, I think we were talking, Tim and I were talking about this before we started. I think when you start a new business and it's changing rapidly, like my business has changed exponentially in three years from me, myself, and I in a basement in my house with the furniture I own to now having two full-time employees and a big warehouse and lots of jobs. I think it changes so quickly that it's, for me, it's been very hard to have like, this is what I do, this is, my role changes every day. And we sat down recently and decided to do employee job descriptions, which two weeks later are pretty much null and void because something else has happened. There's a new opportunity, there's a new collaboration, there's people involved that I would have never yeah. thought would have been involved. So it's, it's very organic for me and I think I just take every day and figure it out as I go. May I add to yes, that? Because may. I know a little bit about your business. So Kirsten, as she described, created a local business, right? You call her to come and stage your home. And she makes money based on that hire. Well, in posting all of these amazing homes that she's created, she built up an enormous Instagram following. It's growing by about 1,000 a week. 
Um, and that's not an exaggeration. She's, I think when we first met, it was under 1,000, and now she's over 30. 32. Um, but yeah. who's counting? Yeah. Um, <laughs> no, I and, don't really know. <laughs> and it's, it's been very organic. It's been intentional. She's put work into it. But I bring it up to say, all of a sudden, she realized, um, oh, I actually have another opportunity here that's not local. How do I offer these 32,000 people that want to benefit from what I have to offer something? I'm a local business. They can't hire me if they're in Iowa. So what can I do? Can I tell yes, the next yeah, part of that? Yes, for sure. Okay. Yes, something them. that we were working on, so I wanted to make sure it was okay. But So it was, okay, let's look at those 32,000 people. Can we offer them a little bit of Kirsten? Can we offer them a way to redecorate a room in their house with her kind of boho aesthetic? So now they can take pictures of their house. They can, sub, they can submit them to well, Kirsten. Not in a week. In a not week? quite yet. We haven't oh. launched. But soon. So you're, soon you're, you're on the to. ground <laughs> yeah. for... Um, but, but this is good. This yes. is good because you're all going to talk about it when it actually happens. Um, so they can submit their pictures of their room. She can then make recommendations of how to, with these pillows, these throws, these, you know, this, these fixtures, create the same thing at around $400. Mm-hmm. So they get a little piece of the business. They get to benefit from all of these beautiful Instagram photos because they can get a piece of that in their home. So she looked at that following and she said, how can I convert that into something that I can monetize? It's great to have a following. It's, it's nice to have fans. But what do we give those fans? They're following us for a reason. Um, and so that's part of the chaos in the business. It's, yes. it's, it's just that there's all this growth that she's having to respond to. Yes, it's coming from all sides. Yeah. The more followers you have on Instagram, the more people reach out to you for staging jobs, the more design jobs come. It just, it's like, it's a trickle. This social media has been a massive bonus yeah. and also been a massive amount of work just maintaining and the workload that's come my way because of the Instagram account has been pretty overwhelming. And when I think I can't get any busier, I get yeah. 10 times busier than I was the month before. Yeah. And yeah. It's well, and amazing, now because but... she's influential in that space, now brands want to work with her. So we've just identified three different revenue streams in her business. And that growth came from an Instagram following. So I think it's, I think it's important to note what you what needs to happen and we talked about pivot and she hasn't pivoted altogether she still has one foot in that original business but she's figured out how to take advantage of those other opportunities um okay back to hannah really quickly on this resources tools anything um i think for me i as an entrepreneur the biggest lesson i learned was there's a lot of things you can put money throw money at and they don't really have a return so what Mark and I have been really thinking deeply about every day, all day, and the, the sort of platforms and tips and resources we use are often free. So for example, um, one email tool that has changed my life in terms of customer service is something called Streak, and it's available if you use Google. It's free. And I, was, I found myself writing customer service emails like the same response all the time and copying and pasting from this Word document. And, and it was just so clunky. Well, there's this nice little program called Streak that you create a snippet. So anytime someone re- writes me a question about a missing handle, I just scroll down. I write, Dear Kirsten, um, handle replacement. And it 
magically puts my little snippet in there and it's just I basically That's don't need awesome. an assistant. Um, it takes me maybe 10 minutes every morning to answer all my customer service emails. I do it myself and it's easy and cheap. Um, it's free. It's free. So we don't even, I mean, even if you've got 10 customers that you're talking to, it's worth mm -hmm. automating. You don't have yeah. to wait until you've reached some sort of critical exactly. mass before you can do that. Yeah. That's great. And it's called Streak, but you have to be well, on Google. Well, I, I don't you know if to, you have to be on okay. We just use Google. Okay. Okay. Um, but yeah, just really looking for and seeking out those. There's so much technology out there that can really shortcut everything in your life. Um, so think about what those pain points are. Um, if you're spending a lot of time like printing UPS labels, there's solutions for that. And oftentimes they're free. So thank you for that. Okay. I'm, I have a few more questions, but I really want to leave time for you guys. But we always ask one last question. There's actually six questions that we ask at the end, but I'm not going to ask all six. The one last one, we named the company Liberty. I named the company Liberty because I thought we could liberate through entrepreneurship, that women could really... There's a glass ceiling discussion, which is an important discussion, and there's a discussion about stay-at-home uh, moms and working, and there's a discussion about um, millennials are having about... It, entrepreneurship is really available, but how do I do it? Uh, it seems everybody who's under the age of 35 is an entrepreneur. Um, so, so how do I do it? How do I, how do I have success doing this? So we just wanted to name it Liberty because we thought um, it represented what was at the core of our business, which is really to help you identify what would liberate you, what's the voice inside of you that you have, and then to um, create opportunities for you to be successful by listening to other people, by equipping you with resources so that you can actually be liberated. So... The question is, what does liberation mean to you, Kristen? Yeah, I have to go first. Um, I think liberation is em empowerment. For me, like to be able to make my own choices every day, whether they're good or whether they're bad, yeah. it's, my, it's on me. Like I fail and it's my failure. I succeed, it's my success. Having financial freedom, not that it's, we're still in the painful investment process yeah. in the business, but having the freedom to choose whether I take a job or don't take a job, that's, that's empowering. Like that, that makes me feel like I can do that. Like it's, it's up to me. And that's a pretty amazing thing about yeah. being an entrepreneur and a business owner and just choosing, not Amen. having somebody else choose for you. It's yeah. pretty incredible. Yeah. Thank yeah. you for it's that. It's worth all the pain. Yes. <laughs> and it's a lot, there's a lot of pain. <laughs> We figure if we keep it real, then you're really armed with, like, the fortitude to hang in there, you know? Not trying to bring you down. All right. Well, if you follow me on Instagram, I think I wrote what being a Liberty Woman was the other night, other day. Um, and I may give you a different answer, but that doesn't mean that they're not all true. <laughs> um, I might have said something like the freedom. I think freedom is at the core of it. Um, but freedom to travel, freedom to create, freedom to... Um, expand or not expand uh, it all comes back to that that freedom word to just be able to um, inspire or or do it on your own it, it, I, I love the name that you picked for this it just seems so perfect and I think that uh, we're I hope we're all Liberty women um, doing what we want to do and, and finding uh, those things that make us happy so I know I am and I hope that for all of you too
That's awesome. Tammy? Um, <clears throat> I think that um, I always wanted to live a really big life. It's why I'm here. It's why I have so many things going on. It's the reason I say yes to everything. I just never want to miss out on anything. Um, I think being liberated is being able to live a great big life that looks like you, that's full of all of the things that you want and isn't bound by the have-tos or the shoulds um, or the way that it usually goes or the way that it's often done. Yeah, I so appreciate that answer. And in light of everyone talking about how difficult that is, it's having what you want, being fully realized, but being willing to pay the price. And I think that's the, the other part of that equation we always need to remember and hang on to. So thanks for that. All right, Hannah. Um, I think I touched on during the podcast yeah. that it was all about choices. Um, but another thing that came to me recently was an employee of, of another big company in the baby industry emailed me the other day and said, what's your maternity policy? And I was like, I don't have one. <laughs> but um, that to me is like at the core like Liberty. I, again, I said, I spend, I get to spend so much time. I sit in that car line every day and I, I love that I have a job that's fulfilling, gratifying, and um, also I can be the mom that I always thought and had hoped for. Yeah, to to three amazing little girls. So, I mean, I just think of what an example that is for them to see that their mom is able to do these two things simultaneously. And it's hard, and I'm sure that there are times that after that 2.30 pickup, you also have to go back to work. Yeah, when they go to sleep. And I mean, that's the full story. But how cool it is for them to, to have that opportunity. Okay, so by just raising your hand, I'm going to give you the mic and you can answer, or ask your questions to our esteemed panel. Um, anybody have a question? I'm Colleen uh, Monroe, and I just started a clothing company um, designing women's workwear. It's called Untucked Workwear. And um, I'm also a florist, so I juggle kind of a hybrid work life. Um, and uh, so my question is, the entrepreneurial life, the hustle, it's a grind. It's day in and day out. And um, I have found myself lately just kind of losing focus. Like I'll be sitting in front of my computer screen and I literally like have reread an email like 10 times and I don't know how to respond to it. And um, I'm wondering when do you reach a point or maybe you're not even allowed to because you have so many jobs, but what do you do to fill your bucket um, to help you refocus? And when are, and perhaps you could give an example of like when you've completely just lost focus and how did you get back on track and what did you have to do to do that Kristen, go ahead I you had say to I lose focus on a daily basis like I just <laughs> really do I get when I get overwhelmed I think it's very hard for me to to focus on one thing because I've got 500 thoughts in my head so it's it's hard on a daily basis but for me getting a, like it's been hard to take time off. Like you said, it's, it's difficult. You're, you're the end of the line. And when you're not there, it's hard for other people to make this. It's hard to leave. You never really check out of your business. You're always, you can be on vacation, but there's always a little part of you that's like, what is going on? I need to check my email. Yeah. Like what is happening? That's difficult. But for me getting away as often as I can at the weekend and just, that's it. Like I'm out. Like, 
just for a weekend, two days, Palm Springs, Joshua Tree, whatever I need to do, that really helps me like ground myself again and refocus and get my energy back. Um, if I didn't, if I didn't have my little weekends away, I would, I wouldn't be happy. So that's important. Hannah's I, wanting to. Answer. I think for me, um, talking to other entrepreneurs who are like doing the daily grind has been really pivotal for me in refocusing because. For example, just uh, last week, I was just really struggling with like feeling kind of stuck at this point. And so I reached out to some of our investors and I was like, can you give me one name of a company that you think is just nailing it? So they were like, look, call Brandon at SandCloud. He took his company from 1 million to 7 million in a year. And I just picked up the phone and I was like, hey, Brandon, what's your secret? Like I, and you know, all these entrepreneurs are really willing to open up and talk for the most part. And so I think that's really helped me because to me, that's so inspirational and aspirational to talk to someone who's doing it and, and they know your pain. It's hard to ask. I mean, it's hard to get that question answered from somebody who doesn't have that same kind of pressure because everybody has some sort of grind no matter their job, you know, and their responsibility, they feel that. But I think when you feel like everything is on you, if you didn't wake up in the morning, that business doesn't exist, it's good to talk to other entrepreneurs. Okay, I, everyone wants to answer this. Okay, go ahead. Yeah. <laughs> I'll just say it real no, quick. No. I think setting a time limit for that stuff that you really hate, like if it's answering emails, I don't know if it's just everything, but if there are the things that you hate that are taking you away from what you're loving doing, but yet it's a necessary part of the business, setting a time limit. Like, I'm just going to spend an hour doing this, but I'm going to get through it, and at the end, I have a reward. I get to go out to lunch, or I get to do this, and that'll help you know that it's not forever and not endless and that there is um, an end in sight, and you can go on to do the other things that you're really loving. And doodle. Okay. Seriously, doodle. Yeah, no. I, I, yeah. I know. I know you're serious. <laughs> Look at her book. She's dead serious. Okay, who else has a question? Back here. My name's Varey, and um, currently I work with a company called TrendQ.com. So we do pop-up stores for new designers. And um, I also go around speaking on behalf of a charity called the Children's Society. So we speak on behalf of youth between 16 and 21. And, um, yeah, and I help my son with his business. So, yeah, who's 10 at the back there. Um, first of all, I wanted to ask, um, when you invested money into it, I don't know if any of you, did you all invest your own money or did you get money from other other sources? I invested my own money on like products and then doing things like my podcast or things like that. Um, so... I basically, like I said before, took the profit of every job and just fed that into the next job. Um, didn't can you yes. know because yes. yours was so product heavy? Yes. Did you buy that f- for the first house that you staged? Did you buy all of the I the couch begged, and the- borrowed, and st- okay. <laughs> stole okay. from everybody I knew? Okay. Do you have a spare chair? Do you have a rock in the garage? Like I, I literally did. Okay. Pieced the first job together and the second job. And probably the third job too, and then started by yeah, and then started. So you took the money buying. of those three jobs, let's say, yeah, poured it into buying inventory. Yes. And her warehouse is—it's <laughs> enormous. It's row. It's a. It, you could go shopping. It's rows and rows and rows of 
I took a really stats. bad habit, which is shopping, <laughs> and somehow made it into a business. But I just think it's important to know the scale and yeah, the scope of, of what she needed to do to build that business. So yep. anyway, okay. Tammy? Um, Self-financed pluck, um, put all of my own money into that. But for the wheelhouse, we went through a couple rounds of funding and raised money, uh, partly our own, and um, partly we, we got investors. Can I ask, you got investors, did you do the friends and family sort of seed money, or did you go after something more formal? Did you get a bank loan? Yes. <laughs> okay. Okay. So. All of the above. Okay. Um, we started with ours. We started with friends and family. We asked for referrals from everybody who said yes and who said no um, I, and just hustled and um, talked to people, like overheard conversations at coffee shops of other investors meeting other businesses. And, and I didn't do this. My husband did this. But he's so good at it that like – it worked, and and thank God that he's not the same way I am. Otherwise, we probably would not have our business at all, but definitely not have raised the money that we needed. How long did it take you to raise what you needed? Hmm. Um, I mean, we're, we're constantly okay. in a round of funding just as the business grows. It took us um, to get the first round of funding closed about a year. Okay. Um, and then the project continued to get bigger and we had a lot of obstacles before we opened. And so the second round of funding went through our opening and closed probably um, six months after that. Okay. Okay. Hannah. So uh, my husband and I probably put in about $50,000 of our own money. We took out about a hundred thousand dollar small business loan through a local um, finance company here in LA and and then we got an investment from Shark Tank. So, yeah. Do you did you remember your second question? Yes. Um, so, in regards to your product, did you um, put the patent in and all that beforehand? And if so, like roughly, how much was it for all of that? And did any of you guys like trademark your names and everything beforehand? Because that's something I want to. And have you done it now? <laughs> I think for me, my this is my personal experience. Um, so take it with a grain of salt. But I think trademarking is hugely important because it's <clears throat> cheap. Um, it's not on the grand scheme of things. Maybe you pay an attorney a little less than a thousand dollars to trademark, or you can go to LegalZoom. Um, we've used LegalZoom a lot for a lot of our business, <laughs> like legal paperwork. And um, in terms of patents, uh, we had a really honest attorney who said look, you can pay me $10,000 to get this utility patent for you, which is going to protect all the ways your cup functions and all this stuff. And he goes, but, you know, Playtex and Munchkin can just come along and turn your bird into a bear, and then it is no longer uh, falls under that patent. And you're going to spend a lot of legal money on lawyers to defend that patent. And we just thought, you know what, let's just go at it with branding. Um, what can we do? We don't have the money to sue everybody who infringes on our patent yeah we also trademarked and highly recommend it you put so much work into branding your business into 
to creating that that name recognition um, we actually had another wheelhouse approach us after we had opened and after we had hired a publicist and we had put in tons of money behind the name the wheelhouse and had a conflict they were in uh, northern california and they were named the wheelhouse and they were uh, we were aware of them i don't know if they were aware of us it was one of the reasons like we before we branded um, investigated to see if there were any other similar businesses that could be confused for ours. Um, and and they ended up in the end changing their name. But it's hugely important. And like she said, not that expensive in the long run. How much roughly was it? Uh, I think it was about $1,000. Okay. And was that just for the state? Or did you get that for Is like from different types? I've noticed that there's one for like here, there's one not from the UK, so it's like, I think you probably, it depends on where you're ultimately going to end up. You know, I mean, if Hannah's going to sell product over there and she, had she gone that route, maybe that would have made sense. But I don't know if you have plans to open wheelhouses in Europe or outside of the United States, but at some point I think you have to think about what's the, what's the real benefit to, to doing that um, before you invest all that. And I, I am wholehearted. I'm not an attorney. I need to say that. Um, but I completely agree with the attorney that's given you that advice because there's so many people who, in the end, are fighting for something that they know was their concept, but somebody tweaked one little thing. I was recently in a grocery store. For those of you who live in Pasadena, it's in Altadena, it's brand new. They just oh, put it in. You walk in, and every single thing looks like a Nabisco product, except or or you know a, a well-known product, except they've they've just slightly changed the name. And I'm like, how is this possible? And it's a German company, mm -hmm. so they basically are able to get away with. And trust me, Nabisco probably has trademarked everything and copywritten everything, and yet this thing exists. Where I mean whatever, Chips Ahoy, Keebler, Elves, everything looks exactly the same except the name. The packaging is identical. It's bizarre. So if people want to steal your idea, they're going to. So you, I think you have to really decide how much you want to invest in protecting that. And perhaps that energy and money could better be used in branding and getting ahead of the curve. So thank you so much for your questions. So you guys are free to ask our panelists questions. They'll, those who brought things to sell, um, please feel free to go over there and chat with them. Thank you so much for coming. Please um, tell your friends about this event. Please hashtag Liberty for Her. Um, keep going to our site, libertyforher.com. Uh, we want to create more products, more resources, more ways to equip you to do the great things that you're doing. Thanks again, guys. Bye. Liberty Sessions is broadcast on all platforms, iTunes, SoundCloud, Google Play, and Stitcher. If you like what you've heard, please subscribe and leave a review in iTunes. You can also find us every day on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at Liberty For Her. Liberty is spelled L-I-B-E-R-T-Y-F-O-R-H-E-R. And please leave a comment using the hashtag Liberty Sessions. We want to hear your thoughts, suggestions, and brilliant ideas. Liberty Sessions is produced by Netta Jones and Elizabeth Windham and music by Jordan Flower. 
And just remember, there is life after the top knot, as evidenced here. See you next week. Thank you.